Yep, we're rolling. Hello, welcome again to the Sunday Roast. Uh, it is, uh, well, it may be time to set in May now, actually. We were enjoying this. It's a wonderful bank holiday, freezing. We have uh, to warm. Zach, Zach, you might want to just do that again. It sort of broke up and then sort of scrambled. Up, uh, our usual guest. All right, okay. All right, that's a bit disappointing. It's, um, it, it, it uh, let up. me... Uh, let me do it on uh, uh, what on um, the data because I think that's the what my Wi-Fi is crap. So, all right, you ready? Yes. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to the Sunday roast. It is uh, not time to sell in May for some people, but uh, maybe for others it is. Uh, bag holiday as well, so a bit quieter on the markets perhaps uh, to the end of this week. But we've got our usual guest to sum it all up, uh, Phil Carroll. Albert Arthur and Kevin Hornsby, and uh, we start off as usual with Phil. How are you today, Phil? Good. Uh, good afternoon, Zach. Yeah, very good. It's um, it's been an interesting week on the markets. Um, there's been been a very low volume week on most of the stocks. Um, talked about um, Keras Minerals last week, as you know, which which had a, a good start to the week. Shifted up to about twenty pence and sat and consolidated around the seventeen p mark. So that that's one one to keep an eye on. I think there's going to be um generating the usual strong news flow to come in the ne next two or three weeks so that that's one that i'm just going to continue to build a position in over the next few weeks there's also uh, another one of mine i tipped a couple of weeks ago this forbes ventures forbes ventures are effectively uh, they're um, a litigation securitization company who are working on a couple of projects out in um in malta at the moment and there was somebody posted a screenshot from the Maltese FSA, the Financial Services Authority out there, stay, saying that the Forbes uh, Venture Sell One license had just been authorised. So that that caused about a fifty percent increase in the stock towards the towards the middle of the day. So that that was a nice surprise. Um, there's been a few that have been concerned. Ramblers Ramblers continue to move well this week, and obviously off the back of the the the, the, the increase in the all time high in copper prices. So that's that's been an interesting one. And then one of our favourites, Valerian Blockchain, has has had an has, has had an excellent week as well, sort of consolidated around the, the, the thirty pence mark. So yeah, all in all, it's been it's been a very interesting week for me. And speaking of Valerian Blockchain, uh, we uh, we always like to be well informed on this program and uh, try and get things straight from the horse's mouth. So here's the horse, and uh, he's got a mouth as well. Uh, David Lenigas, hi today, David. Hi, Zach. I'm not really the horse's mouth. I'm just a shareholder. Um, yeah, well, that's a, that's uh, no, well. I think it was it, that ruins the whole. You know, I mean, it's, I'm trying to be Mr. Showbiz here, so uh, that obviously oh, right. failed dismally. Well, no, you got to be careful from a regulatory perspective because I don't run the company. I'm just a very, very keen shareholder. Yeah. No, I think I think that's uh, it. Sort of, it kind of suits you, doesn't it? Well, you can. Yeah, the horse's mouth. You can talk to me about NQ as as, as if I'm the you know chairman director and stuff. But 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 I've certainly got my own views on Valerium and why I'm excited about it. And uh, and I wasn't aware that the Sunday roast existed, so it's nice to be here. Thanks, guys. Yeah, well, there's no food, unfortunately, because we can't afford that yet. But uh, we're hoping that with the profits that we might get one day, we can we can uh, have a slap up uh, a live. I, well, we can't meet anyway, so there's no point having any arrangements like that. But uh, as far as um, Valerium is concerned, what what attracted you to be a shareholder in that company? Vinay Gupta. Um, 
you know, look, I know Richard Fulden reasonably well. We've known each other for a long time. <clears throat> and, um, and uh, you know, blockchain was something I didn't understand and NFTs and Bitcoin mining much. I mean, I read the paper like everybody else and always intrigued and curious. I, I did actually buy a Bitcoin once at a vending machine uh, in San Remo in Italy. Uh, at I bought a part of a Bitcoin when Bitcoin was $8,300. And you can go to vending machines in Italy and actually buy them. So I did actually buy one and I've still got it. The problem is I've lost the card. <laughs> it's a, it's a so I've sort of been watching it. From, I've been sort of watching it from there because one of the concepts for this sort of San Remo play that we were looking at was to um, convert one of the greenhouses, grow medical cannabis in the top. And, and we built a, um, a concrete bunker to put a server farm down there to actually mine Bitcoin and, uh, and use the heat that's generated from the servers to heat the greenhouse to grow the medical cannabis, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, and they patented that concept. So I thought it was pretty, pretty nifty idea. But, you know, that's sort of when I sort of first started learning about Bitcoin. And um, on the Valerian front, you know, I've been involved in many discussions with Vinay Gupta in the, in the last month in particular. And the level of knowledge that he has um, imparted in the, in the many discussions I've had, um, I'm sort of half dangerous with the knowledge of how NFTs work and you know, the, the Ethereum blockchain and, um, and Bitcoin and the whole concept of where this is going. And the whole concept of DeFi and NFTs is alive and I don't think you can kill it. And I think it's, you know, it's a big ground shift change for the way global banking and finance is going to happen in the next five to 10 years. <clears throat> and, uh, and Richard had up a Thames and said, yeah, I'm going to, to work with this. Um, he's known Vinay Gupta, as you know, Zach, for a long time. He, uh, he helped uh, Vinay restructure uh, his materium, which is his asset passport, which he's doing big stuff with uh, William Chatner and, and many other people around the world. And to have Vinay Gupta working with uh, with Richard on um, on uh, Valerium, I think, is just the early days for, for for a tree growing and bearing a lot of fruit. So, exactly, just I never quite caught on to what Vinay did with Ethereum. Was he one of the founders? It was he the founder? I mean, how did that work? What, what was his What was no, his no, role no. with that? Vinay was one of the original shareholders but he wasn't the big shareholder and he was technically the architect that put the whole platform together and, and the architect that launched Ethereum as uh, as a blockchain um, technology. And he consults to many governments around the world on the blockchain. So he, he's so the- knowledge the, is second to none. So he, as opposed to that Sakamoto guy who we don't know who invented Bitcoin, he's actually the person <coughs> we- kind of know uh, was the man well, there behind was a, there were the number of people who invented it but but Vinay is credited as the architect that launched it right you know it's all about computer programming algorithms all those sorts of things so um yeah and one day we might all try and understand it but probably never will and in terms of what um valerium can do in the in the financial markets could you just explain that because i think you were doing that very well offline but uh, I, I sort of missed it and obviously we, everybody else has missed it too well there's two aspects to what valerium's trying to do as i gather and um 
And one is people, I don't think, understand NFTs properly yet. So one of the strings to Valerium's bow is to do something that the market does understand, which is coin mining. Um, the only company that's actually mining coin in the London exchange at the moment is Argo Blockchain. Um, the FCA brought in some new rules for people mining um, Bitcoin or other coins that they needed to comply with <clears throat> from December last year. Nobody did it. So really the, the field is limited on who in the London market, the trades in the London market can actually do that. The benefit that Valerium has is it's Gibraltar regulated and registered and their Bitcoin or coin mining friendly and material and, and Valerium is, um, is regulated by their Bitcoin division. So it gives Valerium the opportunity to go and build a coin mining division. And I was very um, pleased to see that um, Valerium has um, announced that they're going to be installing their first miners in the United States. And I think that's going to tie in pretty well with their concept of uh, dual listing on the OTCQB. And if you look at things like you know, KR1, when they uh, got their pink sheet listing, and they're still only pinks, whereas um, Valerium's going for OTCQB, which is the, the, the higher end of the market, um, it had a really big impact on KR1. <clears throat> and speaking to some of the market makers in America, I, you know, I say to them, I say, guys, why are the Americans interested in UK blockchain and Bitcoin stocks? And their answer is, we think that the UK market doesn't understand the real value of this. So there's a very big retail contingent in the US that is seeking out global investments that are outside the US that they see are just undervalued, which is why a lot of the horsepower and things like KR1, Coincilium, Argo blockchain, are principally driven by US trading. So, uh, so uh, Lenny Gas, um, what kind of positions are you playing? Is this rapid trading you're doing? Because it's very binary stuff, or are you taking long, short positions on this? Well, I don't take short positions. I only buy and, and go long, um, and I never trade with margin. So, you know, I, I participated in the original financing to help put it together, so... You know, I started off with 7 million shares, which I think is about 11% of the company. Um, and I continue to buy. <coughs> so um, I haven't added it all up now, but I mean, I must be getting pretty close to 10 million pieces of paper now. Um, I buy on weakness. I just see this thing going to the stratosphere, particularly if they can pull off the, the concept of Creating an NFT that moves cryptocurrency money into the real world equities, listed debt, and listed derivatives to effectively create a 24-7 global crypto stock exchange. And it, sounds, it, sounds, it sounds amazing, but do you know like, what sort of risk strategy do you apply to it? Because... It's so binary with like the ARBs. I mean, as an investor and, and well, ARB's, and a only, mining ARB's of... only mining Bitcoin, right? Yeah. They're not doing NFTs. They're just mining Bitcoin. <clears throat> yeah. So if I look at so if I look at what Valerium's doing, they're mining coin, and everyone goes, "Oh, you've only got you know one point six petahash. 
you know, that's not a lot. But, you know, the technology changes so quickly with respect to, you know, coin miners that even the stuff that Argo put in a year ago is already becoming obsolete, which is why they're building the facility in Texas with the new S19 machines. But, you know, the delivery time on S19 machines is anything from eight to 12 months these days because there's such demand. And um, Argo are doing a fantastic job. Um, yeah. But all they do is mine Bitcoin. And Valerium has got a different policy, and I'm glad they're doing their first one in the US. First of all, you need to test that you can actually do it as a regulated entity. So the next one, I hope, will be in the United States, but there, you know, Middle East, Kazakhstan, where a lot of mining is done because a lot of the redundant machines from China moved to Kazakhstan, China. And to have a concept of diversified mining for multiple coins, I think spreads the risk. And I think that's their model. And I like that one. But the really big play for me is where they're working with Vinay on the whole concept of NFTs. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just a one trick pony, basically, Albert. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's fascinating stuff. It's just for me, uh, it's how binary all this stuff is to the, the tailing of the price of the Bitcoin irrelevant of the fundamentals of revenues, net profit margins and all of that uh, is an investor buying a stock on the exchange. I just, it's so binary. I find it hard to build a big position in something that can just evaporate or explode. It's, it's kind of a bit risk-based for me, but I mean, it's, it's very fascinating and I can see the world evolving into this kind of NFT zone. And we were talking about it last week where you could buy, a virtual Buckingham Palace via an NFT in the, you know, in World Earth 2 or whatever, and I can see it happening. But as an investor, I just wondered what sort of strategies you use as, like, you know, mitigating the risk or you positioning over stocks and longs and a little bit in the, in the old, that kind of arena, or that's the kind of understanding I was trying to get. Yeah, Arthur, look, I, I look at all that sort of stuff as well. You know, as I said, I'm, a, I'm an investor in this and I, I like owning more and more of it. If this thing was market capped at two, three hundred million, like KR1 or you know some of the others that are floating around, and you've got Argo, you know, up around the billion dollars, and you know we all know Argo's revenue numbers, et cetera, et cetera, and they're very exposed to just one coin in one country. So, but it's not like Valerium has a market cap of 100, 200, 300 million. It's got a market cap of twenty, and to go dual listing in the United States. That's where the appetite is. And it's only got 64 million shares on issue. And Richard, I know, has told Zach, because Zach and I speak about it, that he doesn't want to do financings to have hundreds of millions of shares on issue. The Americans don't like structures that have got hundreds of millions of shares on issue. So I think he's got a very good situation that he's working on. But to me, the real upside here is what is he going to do with Materium and Vinay? And I think, you know, when that all starts coming out, when they put all those plans together, and I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of that's being held back until after the US OTC QB listing, <clears throat> because London doesn't understand who Vinay Gupta is, but America does. Yeah. And if Richard was smart, then he would be working with Vinay on how, how best do I sort of leverage what Vinay's been trying to achieve with his Materium asset passport wallet and what Richard wants to do with Vinay with Valerium. 
It's only market caps at 20 million quid. That's what I like about it. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a good point. I always love a tiny cap with big potential in the pipeline. So thanks. I think it's got a lot more upside than downside. Definitely. So I just wanted to go on. No, I just wanted to ask um, um, David about uh, NQ Minerals because that's, uh, to me, it seems to be like a fully fledged uh, gold miner, gold producer, metals producer, and it's sort of in a hidden away. And uh, you know, I suppose that one of the things about the Sunday Rose is we like to try and try and shine a light on hidden uh, gems. If we can, if we hope, we hope they are gems. Tell us about the NQ story and wh where you are with that, David. Look, NQ has been pretty much unloved in the market because it's been Aquas. And we all know that Aquas is a very difficult place for people to trade. I mean, none of my institutional people, and I've done deals, big deals with institutions with some of the things I've done in the past, none of them are allowed to touch Aquas. Um, which is why, you know, as, as the chairman of NQ, you know, when I joined the board, you know, a year and a bit ago, I said, okay, let me help you get our big Hellier operations profitable. And they're running very profitably. I mean, at the Hellier operations, we just announced, you know, revenue for the quarter top line of around about $20 million. I think it was $18 million for the quarter, which was probably one of our best quarters and, uh, and net income you know, punching around about $5 million for the quarter. Um, we would expect to see revenue and net income rise gradually over the year. And it's a very robust long life operation. So that was one of my objectives. The second objective was to help the company restructure its debt because there was a lot of debt raised to start the Hellier operations and buy into the Beaconsfield gold mine, which should be coming into production later this year. And the third, and we did that with a, you know, we started working on that when we redid 55 million US dollars worth of refinancing with ING around the Hellier debt package. And we're now working with a number of very large banks, particularly in the US, to restructure the balance of that debt. And the third objective I had was to move NQ to a tier one stock exchange. And we announced some months ago that we'd started the work with the uh, with the FCA to look at moving our reporting exchange from Aquas to the LSE main board. So that work is ongoing. We've got lawyers, we've got the whole team working on it. That work is progressing uh, reasonably well. And fingers crossed, I'd like to see NQ graduate being a different word. Uh, probably the word I'd like to use, I mean, graduate to the LSE in the next month or two. The other thing that, that we've managed to achieve with NQ is that we've got preliminary clearance from the LSE to have what they call the Green Economy Mark. And the Green Economy Mark is an initiative from the London Stock Exchange that says that you qualify for green fund investments. Because all of the work we do with, at NQ is mining of contaminated product in a way that is sustainable and good for the earth. So we passed all those tests. So if and when we move to the London Stock Exchange, hopefully within the next month or two, um, we will be one of the few companies that would have the green leaf symbol next to our ticker symbol. 
And I think that's, you know, there's a lot of green money looking for homes. So that's been a year and a half of my life. I've resigned from a lot of boards that I was on to focus on on NQ because I think it's got great assets. And I think when it moves to the main board, there's probably going to be quite a significant re-rate. There's a lot of stocks, uh, David, that are moving from obviously Aquis to try and get it onto the official list because of the liquidity of the whole market. You know, and there's a couple at the moment that are in the process that I'm invested in. Can you tell us, is it, is it your, is NQ based in, uh, is it in Tasmania in Australia? It's a London company at the moment, London domiciled, but our operations are in Tasmania. Hellier is in Northern Tasmania and the Beaconsfield gold mine is about 150 kilometres yeah. to the west of Beaconsfield, yeah, northern Tasmania. Yeah, I saw some results recently that the, the gold surface, it looked like there was some good gold, gold grams per tonne on, on the results at surface. Yeah, no, that's the Beaconsfield thing. Um, Beaconsfield's got a fully-fledged mining lease. Um, there's half a million ounces of a third of an ounce still left on the resources and the ore body's open. Yeah. And what we're looking for, you know, that's about a 12 to 18-month task to sink a new decline or new tunnel from surface down to connect with the mine workings at about 400 vertical metres to get into the, the high-grade you know, resources and reserves. So what we're looking for is do we have surface dirt available that we can put into the plant um, that will allow us to start gold production in a profitable sense that we're actually making good money whilst the decline goes down to get into the long-term you know, viability of the mining operation. And um, we've found quite a lot of high-grade dirt sitting at surface. We're actually trucking <clears throat> a lot of dirt to the plant at the moment. Um, I think we've got about eight trucks working 20 day shifts, so basically 12 hours a day, trucking dirt from the environments of Beaconsfield to the plant, to the processing plant, in readiness for when the plant restarts. Yeah. And the plan is to bring at least 100,000 tonnes of circa three to four gram dirt um, sitting at the plant. So when we start the plant up, you know, we're making money very quickly. And there's, there appears to be a lot of potential at surface of Beaconsfield that was never looked at before. Yeah. You know, if you look at the average grade of Beaconsfield, it's a half ounce gold mine. That's very, very, very rich. I mean, I ran the Emperor gold mine in Fiji and Fiji is the, the longest running continuous gold mine in the Southern Hemisphere's history started in 1938 and it's still operating today. And the reason why that is, is because it's got good grade. The average grade's 11 grams. The average grade of Beaconsfield's 15. 15 gram all bodies don't go broke. No, no, definitely not. Well, leads us, gold being the subject, I think leads us on to our next special guest, Siam Kidd, who's very much um, got a background in the, in the precious metals. I'll let him tell you all about that. He's also the CEO and founder of the uh, Wealth Action Plan and also Siam Kidd, the realistic trader. Welcome, Siam. Hey, ha thanks for having me. No worries. Do you want to add anything on, on the hold? Obviously, you've got David there with his gold mine and his, his blockchain and all his crypto. Any, anything to add? I know they're, they're sort of two of your hot, hot subjects. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a nobody. Um, I was just a bullion dealer a long time ago. Um, but I just wanted to um, carry on with the NFT thread because I agree with David. It's, it's, there's a massive ground shift here that's happening, which the public are grossly, like blissfully unaware of. And, and a lot of, um, you know, pretty smart people. I, I've got a, a bunch of mates in London in various bank jobs, trader jobs, all, all that sort of stuff. And not a single person I speak to has a clue about NFTs. And, and I think 
it's been sort of marred by all the, you know, the crazy stories we're seeing, you know, someone bought Jack Dorsey's first tweet for two million pounds or sorry, two million dollars. And like even myself, I, I, I think I, I think I understand NFTs, but that part of me thinks, why on earth would someone want to buy a freaking tweet for two million dollars? Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah, sorry, I don't. I think I think Albert came off um, off off mute or something. Then, but yeah, yeah, carry on, buddy. We, we can edit it. We can edit it together. Oh, yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. So, so when you see all these these headlines, you know, of people buying you know tweets for two million dollars, etc. That I I agree is absolutely crazy uh, in my opinion. However, um, NFTs I think is going to change everything from stocks to property to land investing, like. What David said about having a 24-7 crypto stock market is already happening. If you look at what Binance are doing with their, uh, I think they're calling them stock tokens. So what they've, they, they first did it with Tesla. So Tesla is call it, I don't know, $700. And you can only buy, you know, the, the lowest unit of Tesla is one Tesla share. Uh, and so a lot of smaller investors can't buy, you know, even one Tesla share. And so what Binance have done is they're, they're basically, in, in essence, it's a derivative. So they're taking, you know, Tesla and they're chopping up a Tesla um, stock into a whole bunch of tinier parts. And it's completely fully backed by the underlying asset. And so they're calling it, I think, a stock token. Uh, I think they've br branched out. Well, I did a little Google last time. I So they're doing Coinbase. They've done Microsoft, MicroStrategies, Tesla and Apple. And they're adding to the list. Um, so... You also get benefits like divvies if you hold it, but you don't have any voting rights because obviously you don't own the stock. And that's basically what an NFT is. But where I see NFTs really seeping into the real world, where I think the public will eventually find out, is where, I guess, small business finance and property. I mean, there's no reason why you can't chop up your house into, say, 100 million tokens and then sell chunks of your house. There's no reason for that. And then you can take it one step further and say, look, I've got a small business. I want to chop up my business into, you know, a million tokens and then float that to my local community. Now, when we're talking about like the average IPO typically takes, I don't know, three years and three million dollars, all goes down to legal fees, etc. And so smaller business owners like myself, just like floating a, a small business is out of, you know, a lot of people's reach. So this is where I think NFTs could really help even the tiniest of micro businesses. So for example, if you're a, a local coffee shop owner, for example, um, like you're never going to IPO your business, but what that person could do is, you know, chop up their business and or to basically tokenize their business, sell it to their local community. Or even um, if they, if let's say the coffee shop owner needed, uh, I don't know, a 10 grand fancy coffee machine or whatever it is, um, the way he could, effectively crypto crowdfund that or nft crowdfund that so there, he would raise the ten thousand pounds that would then go straight to the the manufacturer so it would all be on a on a dlt of some sort and you know the the, the coffee machine is then delivered to the coffee shop but it's pro most likely um, got some sort of iot internet of things so every and, and you can probably imp input the you know the margins and the, you know let's say the coffee machine makes a pound profit per coffee made. Well, the the profit will then be di distributed in real time to all of the token holders that help crowdfund that coffee machine until it's fully paid off plus interest. 
And so what's happened is that the coffee shop owner has now got a fancy new machine, crowdfunded in seconds, or not probably not seconds, but crowdfunded in no time at all, and hasn't had to, you know, dip any, dip his hands in his pockets, and it's just the coffee pays itself off. Um, so that like there's so many different things, and like I've got a friend who owns a lot of art, and it's boggling, it's mind-boggling how much it costs to store art, as in. Wait, yeah, I mean, he's got chunky art. Um, and, he, you know, a lot of these freehold art places are you know, in airports and ports and stuff like that. And there's lots of tax things that go, go around it. But like another way, uh, I see another sort of thing that some people could buy NFTs of art and therefore bypass the storage and the tax. So yeah. I, I, I found, I've been chatting with him and he, he knew nothing about NFTs and I was just, talking about it and like i could see his eyes light up when i <laughs> um but, you're right yeah, the list, no, the list is endless of what you can do with these and with these fungible tokens on front you you can monetize pretty much everything really you can exactly you can tokenize monetize anything you want no matter how small you are and like if you go back 70 odd years ago uh, and look at the uk stock market there were dozens and dozens of stock markets dozens there were countless and then over the years, it's all been consolidated now. And now we have, you know, probably five or 10 big stock markets in the UK. Whereas what happens with NFTs is, let's say you can, you know, there's a I know, shift in tokenizing your business, etc. There's no reason you can't have the Norwich stock market. The, you know, just like what Binance is doing with stock tokens, like every town could have its own mini microcosm of a stock market full of teeny micro businesses, etc. Um, yeah. I think the, it's, it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. But yes, the, the media are obviously blowing it out of proportion. Everyone's going, oh, it's a bubble. Who's going to... But they're being blinded by the Do, do you the think media. the FCA... Um, so, sorry, I didn't mean to be on loudspeaker earlier when I put it in, by the way. I was, <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry. I was scrolling between the screens and I was trying to figure out what your name was. Sorry. Uh, you've gone a bit you've muffled, gone Albert. Sorry, is that any better? Oh, yeah, that, that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I was just saying I didn't mean to butt in earlier. Um, I'd scroll <laughs> no, to, the, right. to the next screen and the mute came off. Yeah, so do you not think, so what do you think the FCA are going to do? I mean, it sounds very fascinating that you can, I mean, when you were talking about, you know, tokenizing your house or the office space, I mean, I could see things like that happening in the future. What do you think the FCA's sort of angle and the markets and what do you think, will come yeah. in the future so, in the coming months weeks years and you know with it with all of this it's so all of this is an inevitable inevitability and the my I ha i've got a very dim view of the fta uh, i'm probably going to get in trouble saying this <laughs> at some point but the uk is a luddite it's absolutely it, it almost to the point of negligent in 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 terms of revolutionary or game-changing text like if you look at what Malta's doing and, and any of these smaller countries, what are they doing? They're, they're looking after innovative businesses. They're dropping the tax. They're inviting crypto businesses through. So what's going to happen in the long run? Everyone's going to move to Malta or, you know, and other, you know, Binance has moved to Malta. And, and so if you're a small island or country, you know, you need to be really be embracing this sort of stuff. And then on the flip side, what do you have in the UK or India? I mean, India and the UK have always been really bad when it comes to crypto. Every year, they're, they're trying to ban it in some sort. The UK, they've banned the selling of crypto derivatives, which is just silly. 
it will U-turn eventually. So what will happen is that, you know, the government's like, they do these knee-jerk reactions. Or, oh, we're going to ban the selling of crypto derivatives, et cetera. And then, you know, the wave is coming. People get left behind. And then eventually they'll be like, oh, okay, we're going to allow it now. And so it's actually just hindering a lot of, you know, the progress of its, its citizens. And I've had a little, uh, not a run-in. I've had, um, I've been, in the past, I've spoken to the FCA because, um, and you'd be surprised how little they know about stuff. So I, when I was talking with them, it was about trading type stuff. They were asking me questions like, what is a candlestick? What is a time yeah. frame? What yeah, is, it's, it's, like, it's, it's process and policy, isn't it? That's the way they work. And, you know, they're just working for a, sh- a kind of a policy sheet and they don't, they don't even know what's going on in the world. It's just yes, no, binary, know, you know, know, allow it, don't allow it. But it's very, so, so I'll tell you, so I've written an app, right? And I'm, this isn't a sales proposition to anyone, but so so my, my app, so usually what you get is you get news landing in a ticker. So you, you follow a ticker, it'll be like yep. scan, sell, SCLP, something like that. Check it in the morning and you've got the news in the ticker. But I filed a patent a couple of years ago. So I, I do... We've lost you. You've gone, Albert. And then, then what I've decided to do is I've got a patent for stock digestion. And what it does is in the morning, you'll have the entire stock market digested into contract wins, acquisitions, joint ventures, nano caps, micro caps. If I wanted to put this on the stock market, because I know your experience, and this is a bit off topic to, um, you know, your um, the, the, the crypto and the blockchain. But maybe potentially in the future, you could, you could, how would you go about doing something like that? The, the, the license a year from the stock exchange is 20K a year. What would you do? SPAC it? Or, I mean, you've had involvement hard, like, with the thing, haven't you? I think, so uh, maybe David has a better answer, but I think at the moment in, in your position, it would be to wait until there is a, a like a clear and defined NFT market space. Okay. And then, I'm, and I'm, then. Yeah, Sam, I've done a lot of work with this with lawyers in the last week, right? Mm. To do anything that relates to a security is illegal unless you go through a licensed dealer. Yeah. From the FCA, totally illegal. Now, Valerium's going through looking at its path and Gibraltar allow it, provided it goes through special type of regulated securities dealers. Right, but in the UK, it's a no-no. And going back to what um, Albert, what the FCA's view is, the FCA came out very publicly a little while ago and said they want to ban crypto derivatives. In fact, they have banned it. They had a year of, we don't want to do it. And then in February, they said it's banned. And now they're the selling of it. <clears throat> Correct. You so can still own it, though. You can still own it, but their view is retail is going to get ripped off. And they've even mentioned a number that I read last week that they think that the potential for retail to get ripped off of 56 billion pounds by the whole concept of NFT and crypto derivatives. So they are on the warpath, full stop. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's one one of the reasons people go into the, the likes of the Argo blockchain. They can be involved. And I mean, when you're playing with larger amounts, you've got that ISA allowance as well, haven't you? Yeah. 
Whereas, I mean, if you, yeah, I mean, yeah. you guys are talking blockchain, not you know the coin, crypto trading currency, yeah. but you do have that. You know, you can. So, if you've got a good blockchain stock in that space, uh, which some of the ones you talk about, Upper Thames and Valerian, which I have actually got a massive position of fifty pounds in right now because <laughs> I had about two p in it, and all of a sudden it's worth fifty. I cashed it out years <laughs> ago, and I forgot it was in there, and all of a sudden I've just got this fifty pound in a trading account that. I didn't know about it. I should yeah. have left my funds in there. Um, you know, then you've got, for me, it's a big thing, the ISA and the tax. And it'd be nice if they could come up with some crypto taxation policy. You could have a crypto ISA or, you know, yeah. you can deal with that. I know we're talking NFT and listed companies, which is, you know, a bit different to, to all of that stuff. But it's a very interesting space and it's been very interesting to, to listen to both of you, actually. But isn't, it, isn't it interesting that the FC... The, the, I just just wanted to say that it's it's interesting that the whole crypto thing is banned for retail investors, but uh, uh, spending two, three hundred, five hundred grand on a house uh, and uh, there's a property crash, uh, that doesn't make any difference. That's that's fine. I I don't mind people levering up to the hilt <laughs> for 40 odd years. 95% yeah, 95% mortgage with a nationwide oh. is fine. No no no, no. Uh, sub, sub, subprime lending where they're doing 115% as well, you know, giving away motorboats and things in the US. I mean that all that all how did that end? Yeah, so, yeah, so just go, Jack just going back to the the early comment that I, that Albert mentioned, right? Going you know buying into things like Argo. It is not easy to set up a secure crypto wallet, right? I've been going through the process. So it's easier for people to go and buy things like Argo or Valerium because then they've got exposure to the coin price and profitability ups, down, sideways. And people can trade the volatility of the coin market through a regulated entity that's listed and you get all the ISA stuff and the, you know, the tax benefits, particularly if it's AIM or, or Aquas because you know, if you hold a stock for long enough, then it's capital gains tax-free. So that's why people invest in it. And that's why the market is so hot in the US and Canada. So the corporations go and do the stuff but people can flip in and out of the, of the equity side, depending on how they feel about, you know, which side of the fence, you know, the company's working on. But try and set up a crypto wallet. It is not easy. Mm. I've got a question for both of you while you're on this, uh, Simon, David, and it's, it's my burning question. It's kind of, I'm, I'm, you know, you're, you're two people who are in a good position to answer, I guess. It's it's the whole crypto gold thing. It's the it's the Bitcoin has taken the position of of the hedge against inflation or hedge against you know no hedge yeah hedge against inflation hedge against the the dollar weak the weakness in the dollar and the printing and everything. So it seems a lot of the hot money's moved into crypto. We've seen it you know rise from you know ten thousand dollars up to sixty thousand, but we've seen gold drop back from two thousand to sort of eighteen hundred, seventeen fifty, whatever it is. And we've also seen silver spike on the you know the recent squeeze on silver attempt to thirty dollars, and it's just like sitting around at us twenty five, twenty five dollars or something. Will there ever be a point where precious metals have their day again? Well, I don't think they've gone. Um, I think uh, gold didn't drop off because of um, Bitcoin going up. Gold dropped off because of Trump and what happened with respect to the US elections. So you had gold run up into the $2,000 range on the basis of uncertainty globally with 
who was going to win the elections. When the election result came out in America and Biden won, that's when you saw the gold price drop off. Now you're seeing the gold price move up. And just going back to the whole concept of crypto, 95% of the world's crypto money sits in cryptosphere. It doesn't move to what they call the fiat, which is the real world hard currency stuff. And gold is, gold is physically hard currency. You know, if you look at the amount of gold that is traded with all of its various derivatives, it's in the trillions a day. Right? So gold is hard currency. Most of the crypto money sits in crypto space and it finds it very difficult to jump from the, from the crypto world into the real world. And just going back to Siam's comments about you know, um, Binance, and I, I've spoken to the company that does that and I've spoken to Bittrex, I've spoken to Binance <coughs> and the company that, 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 that issues those derivative tokens. Those tokens aren't 100% backed by Tesla shares. Interesting. It's a derivative. And what Vinay's putting together is... They say they're fully backed on oh, Binance. They, no, they, but they're not. Interesting. Because there is no trustee in the middle that says, I actually own all of those shares that, that they do. And Binance is the biggest crypto market in the world, basically, but you know, speaking to Bittrex, that are the, that are the only regulated Bitcoin or well, token market in the world in Bermuda, and I'm speaking to all the top guys in Luxembourg and in um, and in Bermuda. <clears throat> anybody can issue it, and anybody can say, yeah, I have X number of Tesla shares, and let's go and tokenize it. But there's no guarantee that that stock is actually there to underpin it, and what what Vinay's passport wallet is, is five or six levels of verification and authentication with an insurance wrapper. And the reason why the insurance wrappers is very important is, and Vinay's doing it with his gold bars out of Singapore, that you say you've taken a token on a kilo of gold out of Singapore and you want to ultimately go and collect it. If it isn't there, the insurance company will pay you the 81,000 US dollars. Yeah. Right. And, and Vinay's view is by securitizing and putting an insurance wrap around it, you're potentially increasing the size of the global insurance business by a factor of tenfold. And, yeah. and that's a really that's good point. Concept. That is, David. I like that. Takes the risk. That's a very good point. And that's the concept that I know Richard's working on with Vinay is to create using the Materium Passport wallet with all those levels of, of verification and authentication with an insurance wrapper that means that if you do want to go and move from the crypto space into the fiat world, then you're actually buying something that has real value. Now, a lot of the NFTs are things like uh, Vinay's got NFTs out on Stradivarius. You know, there aren't many Stradivarius. It's a bit like Bitcoin. There's only going to be 21 million of them or whatever, right? <clears throat> there are only so many Stradivarius. But each one of those machines or pieces of wood has had a verification, authentication. That's a very detailed process. And that's where this whole NFT market's going. You know, to go and buy someone's first tweet, that's digital art, right? And there's a big talk at the moment about digital art, what's it worth, you know, 
that $65 million thing that Christie's did the other week, you know, on digital art. And that's because it's crypto money staying within the crypto space because they find it very hard to move across. Now, the other thing we've spoken to, to some banks in Switzerland, <clears throat> and you can borrow against your Bitcoin holding, but, but the leverage is 800%. So by putting an insurance wrapper around it, you can get better leverage from your Bitcoin holding to move into the fiat world. And that's where this is all really starting to morph and change. And once that transition happens, people can then move their hot Bitcoin money and Ethereum money into the real world money. And that's going to transform the way things really look. And it's going to happen quicker than people think. Wow. So, but so what, it, David? But it's what, putting what the architecture into, together. Pardon? What got you into, what made you move into this space anyway? When I spoke to Vinay Gupta for the first time, I speak to Vinay a lot. And when yeah. you listen to the way the market started with Ethereum launching in sort of 2016 and how it's transforming and the fact that, you know, you've got alternative technologies out there like Kraken and all those things that are really starting to get some, some wherewithal, you really don't know which of the platforms is going to be top of the waza. Bitcoin's there in its own little space. You've got Ethereum, which is, you know, one of the largest blockchains, and there are others coming up as well. So yeah. I, it's a very dynamic part of it. I actually worked for the coders from Ethereum in, oh. in circa 2016. We did a hackathon with the guys and some clever guys down there, but I never thought it would turn into all of this. Else I'd have probably stayed working with them. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, and Vino admits he sold out too soon. I mean, Vino goes, no, the market's stuffed. I've sold out too soon. You know, virtual reality is the way things are going. You know, virtual reality is going to be the way things go. But but, but for the last four years, Vinay has been totally dedicated on the Materium Asset Passport wallet. So, so what would you go to before all of this and how successful was it? Be fun. So what would you go to before all of this and how successful were, uh, were you in those fields? My go-to on the on the blockchain space, none. This was my first first. No, no, so, sorry. Before prior to blockchain, what were your preferred fields there? <clears throat> well, I've always been a resources specialist. I mean, for those that, that that don't know me, I mean, Zach knows me for a long time. You know, one of the biggest things I did here was was rebuild Lonro, the big Pan African conglomerate, from one hotel in Mozambique to a takeover in two thousand and twelve. <clears throat> and we raised a lot of money globally to rebuild Lonro as a pan-African brand. Um, you know, I was active in, in, in the whole Cambrian, um, and this was when it was Offex and moved to AIM. I did all of that. And Cambrian was developing the big Tumblr Ridge coal project in British Columbia that ended up being taken out for four and a half billion. <clears throat> so, you know, principally... I suppose my specialty has been resources, but I'm a generalist. You know, my job for the last 15 years has been fixing up companies where fund managers have been long and wrong. Mm, sometimes you can fix them, sometimes you can't. That's what my NQ job's about at the moment, is fixing up NQ as a corporate entity to move it to the main board so we so can get a real life. Is that back. a bit of a driver then? Because, I mean, I mean, I was taking positions in precious metals uh, last year. 
when I, I believed COVID crisis was going to end and, you know, the incoming recession and all of this. I was going into the metal space and I was thinking about the cryptocurrencies and there's some similarities as, you know, to, to put your money into this this type of thing. Was that a bit of a driver, the, the precious metals transitioning to the crypto? Did you see it as a, as a new, invisible precious metal? Yeah, a little bit. I just think the whole... Look, the, I, I suppose my main driver was looking at the amount of government debt that the US, you know, six trillion in new money. You know, I've been to New York many times and you go past that big ticker symbol that keeps flashing over. And the last time I was in New York, it was $21 trillion worth of government debt in the United States, right? <clears throat> and then you see Biden's going to issue $6 trillion worth of new stimulus for America. No one's ever going to pay that off. Look at the UK government debt. It was 1.3 trillion pounds. It's probably now 2 trillion pounds. Look at the Euro government debt. The concept of money has completely changed. Yeah. Governments just print money because they know that if the currency systems collapse, the world goes to anarchy. No one owns their house. There's no concept of banking. And therefore, the alternative finance things start popping up. That's why gold's important as a physical metal, right? That's why cryptocurrency is important because people want to diversify their financial portfolios, right? And then going back to copper, because you, know, you guys were mentioning you're following a copper stock. <clears throat> I was with a guy in Monaco last night. His brother controlled the world's copper market for Sumitomo in the 80s. Completely squeezed the world's copper market. And this guy is one of the huge global commodity traders here in, in, in Monaco. And I said to Ashley, I said, Ashley, what are you focusing? He said, copper, copper, copper. I said, well, it's almost at a record high. He said, it's going higher. I said, why? He said, Dave, the amount of copper required right now, and there's not a lot of stock at the LME, to go and build all this infrastructure yeah. doesn't exist. And without copper, lead, zinc, and iron ore, the world can't go and build this infrastructure. And if you can't build infrastructure projects, you can't put the population to work. Yeah. And, and it's also being touted as the new, the new oil, or as, as Kevin likes to say, the, the green gold. But, but the thing with copper is people underestimate its uses in the re within the renewable energy space. So for things like oh, EV cars... Oh, absolutely. I mean, I know a lot about EV cars. You know, I, I was, I've been actively involved in the Cinevec um, lithium project in, in the Czech Republic. You know, I funded all the money that went in, you know, to discover the Bacanora's, you know, Sonora lithium project, the largest hard rock lithium project in the world in northern Mexico. Yeah. I've met, I've met the Tesla people in Palo Alto. I mean, I did a deal to supply lithium to Tesla. You know, so... There is, I think it's five times the amount of copper that goes into an EV, right? Yeah. Then goes, or even to a hybrid car that is currently used in an internal combustion engine. But yeah. more importantly, <clears throat> it's about the infrastructure that's required for energy storage into the grid to allow these things to get charged. And and the other, the, the other issue that the world hasn't really started to come to terms with is where are you going to charge all these electric cars? Okay, we're going to charge them up at service stations. The issue with service stations 
is the electric cable that runs to the service station is like that big. Yeah. When you want to run fast charges to start charging everybody's cars, the electric cable goes to six to eight inches. Wow. And that's copper. Right? Because it's the amount of amps that are moving along that cable. So you now need to upgrade a whole lot of infrastructure to run EVs. And the Germans and the Americans and the Brits and everybody else are saying, we're not going to have any internal combustion engines <coughs> you know, by 2030, 2035. So how are they going to charge all this stuff? So the entire infrastructure needs to be upgraded, and that requires copper, lead, and zinc and aluminium. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Goldman's, Goldman Sachs put out, I think, or not a broken note, but a statement saying they think it's going to hit 15,000 per, per tonne by 2025. Yeah, and, there's, and the, the thing is, the easy copper's gone. You know, the big mines in Chile, you know, Escondida's, and I've been to Escondida. You know? we, we, Kevin and I know of a good, there's, there's, there is a lot of good easy copper in, in, um, in Cyprus at the moment with Keras Minerals. We talked about them last week. Yeah, they're good, but I know them very well. But it's not Escondida size. It's no. a great project, but it's not the size that's going to do, you know, three, four hundred thousand tons a year of copper metal. You know? So and you've got and, and, and with all this wokeness in the world to go and get a new project permitted, yeah, just okay, so Australia's very up there with getting mines going, right? But from discovery to first production in Australia for a mine these days is eight years. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> so where's all this new production going to come from? Escondida can't get much bigger. Well, I mean, I think the figure you mentioned is the figure we alluded to with Martin last week. We were looking at 500,000 tonnes a year from the Truly project. So it's it's copper concentrate. You know, there's, there's no reason why we, we can't match those figures. When it's copper concentrate, that's not copper metal. Yeah. All right. So that's 100,000 tonnes a year of copper metal. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So... Look, it's a good-sized project, absolutely. But then you've got to go through the whole regulatory crap, you know, and I don't want to... It's, it's the whole NIMBY thing. I don't want that in my backyard. Yeah. Not in my backyard, please. You know, and then you've got to build tailing dams. And then the EPA go all over you about what type of tailings dam. And are you going to kill all the fish and the people who are all going to get... Like Brazil, you know, the tailings dam collapses and everybody dies. The world has become seriously difficult to permit new projects. Yeah. But but what the banks want is big projects. You know, and I see it with, with NQ. What do they want? They want Hellier because it makes money and it's big. You know, they want Beaconsfield because it's rich and it's deep and it keeps going. You know, banks are prepared to fund big projects, but big projects also take a long time to get going. David, can I ask you a question? What, what are your views on the future of uranium and what do you think of Thor mining? The uranium is hot. Yeah. Have you ever yeah, looked no. at Thor mining before? Yeah, yeah it's absolutely. one of the smallest uranium mining caps on the market. And, uh, <coughs> yeah, no, I've got a few. Recently, no, I've got a few. They're, they're good guys. Yeah. The, 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 issue, the, the issue I find, you know, talking to the institutions, and I raise most of my money from institutions, is up until a couple of years ago, uranium was a no no for institutions because of the whole concept of green, right? and atomic power. And when Greenpeace came out not that long ago and said, okay, nuclear power is acceptable, 
Whereas, you know, for the last 30 years, Greenpeace has been, you know, blockading everything that's got anything to do with nuclear. When Greenpeace changed their stance on nuclear power, the concept of uranium changed. And the world always needs nuclear power. I mean, we're going to have to have some nuclear power in the future. And it is green. I mean, it's so dangerous if it's not controlled. Albert, mate, you need to talk into the into the phone. We can't. It's muffled. Sorry, I was just saying. Yeah, I think the future of uranium is quite bright. I don't, I don't think it's quite understood really because it's got my fund manager. My fund manager, Albert. Albert, my fund manager, mates in New York, think uranium is hot. Yeah, I might have to take well, some position. I, I think. I think what you got to remember, <laughs> Albert, is that that Biden has just announced the two two trillion dollar plan for this new jobs plan announcement and initiative, which is yeah. is for basically helping out the global uranium ETFs and putting them back on the map. So, yeah, I did, I did, uh, I did notice that, which is one of the reasons I mentioned the. That it, so, mm. if anyone wants to check out uranium, I've not taken a position yet. If you want a uranium micro cap that no one knows about, really, or well, a lot of people don't. Not the best. I know a few of them. I know a few of them. We'll we'll talk. We'll talk later about them. So, David, uh, what what do you think is going to happen? Because there obviously isn't enough copper, regardless of the fact that the copper goes up in value, which is obviously a certainty if there isn't enough of it. But what are they going to do? They're just going to have to put back. Okay, Okay, so so there is no replacement for copper in the manufacturing sense. What happens is. As your price goes up, let's just say the copper price goes from ten thousand US dollars to fifteen thousand, right? What happens is it then makes big mines more economic, deeper. So then the, it's a bit like oil. You know, we were all going to run out of oil in the nineteen seventies, and then the oil price went up, which meant that the deeper oil all became economic. And it's the same thing with copper. You know, Escondida. If the copper price goes up, Escondida will do a huge cutback. They'll go and mine out waste for a kilometre either way, and they'll go deeper. So, and it, but there's always a year or two's lag for that to happen. So, as the resource prices go up, old mines come back into to flavour, and those old mines restart, and big mines just go deeper. <clears throat> so, there's plenty of copper in the world's crust. It's a matter of what price do you need to make it economic. Uh, the problem okay. is. The, the problem is the mining industry can't respond at the speed that the market wants it to. And that's why you get things like copper being you know, $9,900 a tonne. <clears throat> and speaking to my mate on the copper side yesterday, one of the big trading houses here, he just says he can see this going up 20% this year alone. Yeah. Purely because no, I mean, of lack of supply in the LME. Yeah. And I mean, this is what's happening with the, uh... Rambler, Rambler mining as well is that because the copper price was so low a year or so ago, they were going to go broke. And now <clears throat> they're going to be in a position with no debt and ready to expand to two, three, four thousand tons uh, of copper a year. Which, and that's good revenue. Or, th- or thousand copper, thousand tons, I should say. So, yes, it's all on the economics. And they have vast amounts of copper, but it's how economic is it to get it out the ground? Is and the that's issue. the issue. And depend. And what happens is your cutoff grade drops. The higher you go, the cutoff grade drops. The other thing that Ashley told me yesterday is he said the interesting thing is China is now running short of supply. And I said to Ashley, I said, "Where are you sending your copper con?" 
and copper cathode. He said, America. He said, they can't get enough of it. Yeah. And I thought, I thought everything went to China. He says, Dave, most of my copper cathode and copper con is going to the United States. He said, the big mills, and he mentioned one, which I can't remember. <clears throat> he said, you know, the, the, the rolling line is 500 metres long, one of them. They're building two more. And that's for US infrastructure build. Now, America, and for those of you who have been to America, if you look at New York, the infrastructure's old. The bridges are crappy. You know, they don't paint them. They've got, and then you go to Denver, Colorado, and it's all new. America's going to go through this phase where they've got to upgrade their entire infrastructure, including IT infrastructure, and that requires all types of metals. That's why you've got iron ore at a record price, copper at a good price, lead and zinc. Lead's always trailing. Zinc's now at good price. The world hasn't even started on economic recovery yet. I mean, what, what's the UK's big, you know, infrastructure projects? HS2, wait till the UK starts building the new tax-free ports. You know, China is just non-stop now. America's going for growth of 10% GDP growth. And a lot of that's going to be infrastructure to create jobs to keep the masses at work. Because if you don't get the people to work, there will be anarchy. Yeah. And it all spins back to the concept of crypto because it's all being done with debt. And no one's ever going to default on debt. It just gets more debt. So people are looking for alternatives because when it does blow up, and there are blow-ups all the time, what do you got that you're going to be able to kill and eat that's not tied to the US dollar or the GBP or the, or the yen or the euro? Yeah, I think I want to buy a small farm. I live in Egypt. I want to buy a small farm. I think when there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, you say don't because then silver you live off the land. Yeah, silver and a farm and be self-sufficient is these two of the <laughs> two of the best things. And guns. I mean, because was it the five Gs or something like that? Gold, gasoline, ground, or whatever they are. But you know, there's a lot of truth in that. Oh, that's, Six yeah, G's, that's the whole gold, guns, Six guns, G's, ground, sorry, sorry. gasoline. That's it. And Sorry, generator. Sam. Don't forget that. Generator, yeah. <laughs> generator. And then girls, seven Gs. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right, guys. I think we'll just because we've had a we've had a good talk so far. What I'd like to do is just uh, go through the uh, each each of you, just what you're looking at for next week. Um, I wanted to ask uh, I had a request for David about Apollon, which I don't know whether he, that could be his Apollon rather. Yeah, that even that that's even better. And uh, maybe you can talk about that as his uh, sort of outlook for next week. But otherwise, go, going around the lads and hopefully uh, um, Albert's um, fixed his mic because uh, it sounds like he's sort of putting it up his nose at the moment. He probably has put it up his nose. Um, but uh, I'll start with, with Siam because I, I like his new, fresh approach. He's like half my age as well, I think, probably. So that's even, more, that's even better. And uh, better. What are you looking at? Everybody's got hair and everything. What are you looking at, uh, Siam? In terms of just my general investment, yeah, the market. I mean, is you know, because uh, we had a slightly well, I'm, I look at uh, Bitcoin the most, I suppose, and I just saw it, you know, just above you know, in the mid uh, 50,000s. But is there any sort of particular event going on? Is there anything to look out for at the moment, or is it we just we're just happy that things are relatively stable? No, 
Yeah, so um, the in March, I think it was the third of May. Uh, sorry, third of March. Um, Michael Staler, MicroStrategy CEO, gave a, a presentation called Bitcoin for Corporates. And in that session, there were over 7,000 CEOs and CFOs. Now, Michael, he's bought 90,000 Bitcoin um, the last time I checked, and it's growing. And we, we've got, you know, Grayscale Investments, they've got over $35 billion of Bitcoin, etc. And so after that, um, that session, we, we then, you know, had 7,000 odd big companies that were somewhat informed. Now, the 1st of May, so what is that, tomorrow? First of May, uh, yeah, shit, tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. tomorrow yeah. Uh, we see the SEC filings come out, and we will see all of the big, com- uh, you know, list floater companies that, have, you know, we, we can check their balance sheets for digital asset purchases, i.e., crypto, etc. And I, I think it's only going to take one, one more big company to allocate some strategic reserves into crypto, and we're going to see another sort of uh, leg up. So, I mean. All of the, you know, the something, something like 3 million percent growth Bitcoin's done from, you know, over the last decade or, or whatever. That's basically taken the whole crypto world from obscurity to somewhat, you know, um, common knowledge-ish. But the next, you know, 5x of growth is going to do far, far more sort of positive um, attention than, you know, what, what it's done over the last 10 years. And the thing is, like, so... You know, the CEO of Oracle and Elon, they're, they're best buddies. Um, it, it's, it's highly likely they're about to do something. But, I mean, it's just a matter of time until Apple, Amazon, you know, Oracle, um, IBM, Intel, you know, they just announced that they've put, you know, 1% of their strategic reserves into, into crypto. I mean, Tesla only put 6.5% in. And they, they bought basically $1.5 billion down at uh, dollar Bitcoin, and so I, I do see things going up. And I, I'm a, I take a more chilled out approach with crypto than most people. Uh, I call it "Don't be a crypto dog," because when I got back it, when I started, you know, really getting into crypto, there was probably only 500 projects on the whole planet. And now, when you look at CoinMarketCap.com, there's over nine and a half thousand crypto projects. And every and I've read probably two, three hundred odd white papers over the, the few years. And you, you start to learn, uh, you start to see a trend. <laughs> and the, the common trend is every website and white paper you read of a new crypto project is all game-changing blockchain or DLT or DAG that's going to change the world. It's going to, it's the Ethereum killer. It's the Bitcoin killer, et cetera. And of course, they're going to say all, all of that. So I've got a bit of a BS detector now. And I, and it's, I think it's futile trying to keep up with, you know, everyday news. It's, it's a full-time job. And when you are fully up to date, you're going to be out of date within a week. So I have t- turned my own crypto investing and uh, I basically treat myself like I'm a, a tracker. So um, I have basically, I call it the Kryptonian portfolio. So I've got half of it into, you know, solid plays. And then the other half is what I call a smart tracker. So if you go to masari.io, you, you can, it's like, you can see all of the cryptos there. And you can alphabetize the sectors. So just like with stocks, you have, you know, pharma stocks, war stocks, bank stocks, etc. It's the same with crypto. And so all I've done is I've bought the, the top crypto, uh, the top project in every sector. Um, and, and I've done it by market cap. So most of my portfolios, I mean, is, you know, billion dollar projects, you know, 
minimum. Uh, yes, I've got a tiny shitcoin sort of portfolio. That's just pure gambling. Um, I'm fully expecting that money to have a binary outcome. I go to zero or moon, uh, <laughs> uh, but I'm completely unattached to that. Um, so, yeah, I think next week is going to be interesting to see how, you know, what, what companies have, you know, dipped their toes in. And the other thing which I... I, I do like what Binance is doing. Now, if you're a crypto purist, you're going to hate Binance and because, you know, it's, it's a centralized platform. It's a centralized exchange, yada, yada, yada. Um, CZ owns it all, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but at the end of the day, what do the public care about? They don't give a shit whether something is centralized or decentralized, et cetera. They care about UI, user interface, user experience. And Binance has done this very well. It's simple to buy, you know, now it's very simple to get crypto as in your fiat or GBP or dollars into the Binance exchange to buy crypto and then to even stake it. I mean, and I've, like, I've got probably 80% of my whole portfolio staked or making anywhere between 10 to 20 odd percent. Um, and they've made it so simple. And the, the beauty of Binance is that not only is it the fastest growing company in human history, it went from a standing start to a billion dollar revenue in six months, and it's making over a billion dollars per year of profits and growing fast. So you have you can value it like a normal stock. It's also got its own token, BNB, the Binance token, and 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 all you know, and obviously the the tokenomics that comes with it. And so when you look at the you know the the globe the the market cap of say Ethereum, which is just a smart contract platform, that is all. Ethereum is, it's a smart contract platform, breaking it down very simply. That's what something like a $300 billion you know, market cap. Well, whatever Ethereum has in market cap, Binance is gonna eat that. Because not only is it now launching a Binance smart chain, so it's going into the smart contract platform, it's a centralized exchange, they're opening up a decentralized exchange, they're getting into the NFT market space, they're, they're in DeFi, they're, you know, they're properly in, in, in the DeFi space, which, by the way, DeFi is going to kill the, the existing incumbents. I mean, if you look at ICE, Intercontinental Exchange, they've been going for, what, 20, 30 years? They own pretty much most exchanges in the US, Chicago Stock Exchange, NYSE, all that sort of stuff. Um, they spent 20 odd years. And I think the last time I checked, they've made something like $600 million profit per year. And then you, you see Coinbase pop up out of nowhere, makes pretty much the same profit in, in its first year or two. Um, you then see it, you know, IPOing, and all of a sudden it's, it's bloated in terms of value. And, and, and then you look at Binance, what they're making over the year in, in no time at all. And so the incumbents are like, holy crap, um, we've got to do something here. So this is why you see rumors of, of the NASDAQ, you know, rumoring that they're going to sell crypto at some point, whether they do or don't, I, I don't actually care. So as you can probably tell, I am pretty bullish on Binance uh, and a few other things, but ultimately it's best to be completely emotionally disconnected to it all because we, I don't think we have the Google of the crypto space yet. I mean, if you look at Facebook, Facebook sort of effectively launched 20, was founded 2005, 2006. That was a good five, six years after the tech bubble pop. And we haven't, ha and so I don't think the Google, the Facebook of, of the crypto world has, you know, is here. So when I'm looking at Binance or Ethereum or whatever, I'm looking at them through the lens of, ah, so these are the Kodaks and the Nokias for the moment. And I think at some point, yeah, they're, they're, you know, they're going to be knocked off. And I mean, look at Ethereum. So they, they started off, what, 2015? Um, they raised $19 million um, to, to get it going. 
And when you listen to the founders like Vitalik and Charles Hoskinson, etc., they had no clue that Ethereum would do what it was doing right now. They had no idea. That it, and Charles Hoskins even said that they were completely bemused at how fast it grew. And Charles Hoskins, he was the co-founder of it all. He was saying that they built the, 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 their DAP platform with you know, limited growth in mind, and then all of a sudden exploded. So what Ethereum has basically been doing over the last couple of years is gaffer taping add-on after add-on after add-on. And it's like taking a Ford Fiesta and trying to soup the hell out of it. Um, whereas what we're seeing right now with a lot of new up-and-coming DAP or you know, smart contract platforms is that they're, they're built with the end in mind. So if you look at Cardano, they're built with the end in mind. They, they're, they're not having to gaffer tape anything together. If you look at Solana, I mean, and a lot of these new DLTs like uh, DAGs, so directed to cyclic graphs, they have... You know, a lot of these have solved the, the trilemma. Um, I'm not, in case you don't know what the trilemma is, you know, the, the trilemma is you can be really safe. And so you have so security, throughput or output, so transactions per second, scalability, uh, and, and or no, so scalability, and then you have speed. And typically what you, you could have two of the three, but you can't have all three. And so over since, you know, 2016 to 2018, they were having new projects are having to choose two of the three. But now when you have, you know, when you look at some of the DAGs out there, like Tangle that IOTA uses or Hashgraph, um, like they've solved, they've, they've solved it. And you have infinite scalability, infinite TPS, and it, it's, a, it's a way forward. And not only, and I think here's, so my last thing before I'll, I'll be quiet, I don't, want, I don't want to hog the mic. Um, we are literally sitting on the cusp of, a tsunami of tech revolutions all converging in, in, into into one focal point over this this decade now back in sort of the 90s we had one tech that was about to go stratospheric and that was the internet and look at what the internet's done to the world we can't live without it but now we have at least about probably seven to ten techs all as big as the internet all converging and about to explode in in the space of a decade 3D printing, robotics, um, genetics, so CRISPR, genetics, um, crypto, IoT, or, uh, you know, internet of everything. And so if you just take, you know, the internet of everything, we're going to have trillions, probably estimated 10 to 30 trillion smart devices all connected to each other, all talking to each other and doing microtransactions to each other. Um, well, when they start doing microtransactions, the, the current financial system can't handle that output. They, it's, it's impossible. They, they, they have, they cannot scale to that level. Whereas a DAG can. So I'm all like, the more I learn, the more I don't know, like I'm just completely dumbfounded every, every day. Uh, and it's, it's just a, such an amazing time to be alive. It, it really is. Um, so yeah, I, although we've had a bit of a calamity over the last couple of years, um, I think from sort of 2023 onwards, it's going to be, another roaring 2000s or 2020s pretty well, much i think you I, I think that uh, probably the late 60s was a great time to be alive i'm not quite sure we're quite in the <laughs> league at the moment uh, but uh, you know we landed on the moon and we actually literally went to the moon rather than actually talking about you know uh, uh, cryptocurrencies going there but um Fantastic. Elon I mean, will be there in two years, by the way yeah 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 they'll be on mars as well um on today we're with um Apollon or Apollon or whatever. I don't want to I don't want to say too much on Apollon because I'm an insider. Um, All right. 
I'm off the board of Apollon. Um, Dr. Barnhill and his team are now on. Um, from my experience, when you do an RTO, the last thing you want to do is potentially announce something that's that's earth shattering um, on the basis that why didn't you put it into the prospectus? So, you know, I'm excited about Apollon. I'm a bit disappointed the price has fallen. It is Aquas, but Aquas is getting more interesting. But I would suggest that, you know, it won't be that long before some quite significant medical advancements on the Apollon side. But I don't want to say any more because I am an insider. So I'll just leave it at that. I haven't sold a share. I was a big shareholder before the RTO. I'm now a lot smaller shareholder. I'm no longer on the board. But yeah, it's up to the Dr. Barnhill team. But yeah. just going back to what Siam was saying, <clears throat> Siam, I don't know if you saw that in on April 28th, the European Investment Bank, the EIB, has raised 100 million euros uh, from a two-year digital bond um, with respect to blockchain technology. Now, when you start seeing governments and government-related banking entities start getting into the blockchain, hmm. it's becoming too big to fail. I agree. Right. And, and you mentioned things like Cardano. I mean, speaking with Vinay, who's, who's probably one of the most up-to-date on blockchain in the world, you know, the platforms that are there now aren't the ones that are going to be the Apples or the Googles. Uh, a lot of my fund manager mates in New York think Cardano is probably ahead of the curve. Vinay thinks yeah. they're doing pretty well. Um, they're still all using a lot of the Ethereum platform, but there are new platforms being developed. And I agree with you. I don't think we're seeing the Apples or the Googles of the crypto world yet. And there hasn't yeah. even been the concept. And there hasn't even been the concept of corporate consolidation yet, right? You've got a number of players all running along. Vinay's view is nobody has the secure platform yet that you can actually say, I've bought that with my crypto and I physically own this in the real world. And Vinay thinks that's the golden goose. Yeah. Binance has done a phenomenal job, right? Um, yeah. Bittrex is doing a great job. You know, but most of the blockchain trades, 70% are still in China. The reason why, 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 why Binance is important is because it's got so big, so quick, and you can access a huge crypto market of investors. Hmm. Bittrex is struggling, even though they've got lots, they're growing fast, but Binance has just wiped them. It's because they're US-based. They're based in Vegas, and so they've got the hands tied behind their back. They Correct. can only list so many many things, etc. Correct. So, yeah. So, but, you know, what am I looking at this week? I think um, I think taught my own book because I'm, I'm passionate about it. Um, I think uh, you're going to see some very good activity starting into Valerian, particularly with the US move. I saw what happened to KR1 when they got their the US stuff. Um, I think NQ will start getting more attractive in the coming weeks as the market activity on Aquas itself improves. And you know, hopefully we get to the main board and then I think it's a, you know, a, a kick in the park on a re-rate, but you know, that's still some time to go. I see copper going through $10,000 in the next two weeks. And there'll be a big push into copper. And I see gold going back into, you know, 
into the 1900s and people go, well, the gold price didn't collapse. <clears throat> so I think there's some interest all around. I mean, I looked at all my screen this morning and said, you know what, there's a fairly good vibe around the market, you know. And the world just needs to feel good to invest. I mean, Biden's talk, whether you think he's a dithering old fool or not, he is being very presidential. And I watched his talk this morning. He wants to make America great by spending. And it's been a long time since America spent money on the right things. And if people feel confident, people will invest confidently. Yeah. So I see a whole lot of sectors doing well. Yeah. Good. I hope they're the ones. All right. The best so one. on to. Should we go to Kevin? Yeah. Why not? Um. Quick this week. Um. Just we were going to talk a little bit, but it's gone on and on and on tonight. But it's been extremely interesting. Thanks, guys. It really has opened my eyes as well uh, into the whole NFT crypto thing. Um. But we were going to talk just a little bit about uh, shorting and how morally acceptable it is or, or whatever. But I think we'll leave that for another week. But anyway, on the markets, um, I was very pleased to see uh, Zoatech uh, come out fighting today. Um, it's been hammered by shorts for the last number of months, but seems like the game is nearly up. So hopefully within the next period of time, that's going to happen. Uh, that it goes back to all-time highs. Um, I'm very bullish about RMM, copper. Very bullish about uh, CMRS, copper. Um, yeah, and I have increased my holding this week in um, Valerium. Might even increase it again now that I understand it a little bit more, um, which is good. Um, yeah, th that's me really. Portfolio overall, I think it was down a little bit, but that was mainly because Zoatech was attacked. Um, let me think just off the top of my head. Yeah, and still, my health check has got to happen. We've all got to fly. We've all got to buy PCR tests. Eventually, it's going to rocket. I'm finished. Okay, on to Albert, if he's got his mic properly geared and not up his nose. Yeah, I've had an absolutely cracking week. Um, <laughs> I mentioned last week, keep your eyes on Deep Verge. I said that they were going to get water news. I don't think the market understands it, but they've just done a JV with uh, China Resources, which have a 60 billion revenue, um, and they own all of the sewage systems in China. I don't think uh, in, investors or traders understand it yet, but... The, the, the COVID water surveillance is going to be a preventive uh, pandemic. It's a proactive, preventative pandemic blocker. It's not understood yet, but it's one for the future. Um, also, I took a, uh, I inflated another position tranche in uh, SCLP, the, the dual spike protein that targets the NNS protein. I mentioned that one last week. Uh, I took another tranche of that today. Uh, I've got a large position there now. And, uh, and then today, uh, Diggins took another 400,000 shares. He was one of the directors. Um, FUM got CE approval. So I've been sitting on my hands for the last eight weeks. I've done about four trades in eight weeks. And it's nice that you, when you have the idea and all this stuff starts flaring up and going off. 
I've not touched any. I don't, I'm not touching resources at the minute. I think it's too early for me because I touch resources incoming recession and you know the crypto thing's a bit too binary for me. I appreciate everyone doing it. I hope everyone does well. Um, but I just feel like I'm a bio bull still. And um, what else came in this week? I think SNG, very strange today. The best antiviral drug. It's got a three to one chance that if you take this drug at home, you'll survive over someone that, that, ha- that doesn't take the drug. And it's the only self-administered antiviral on the planet. But I think there were some traders that got toasted trying to, trying to get out. So I've had a cracking week and I will continue to hold my bio ball positions. I've trimmed half a spack off. I've sold out my cybersecurity position because I don't think there's sentiment for it at the minute. But I'll probably buy back in if it dips. And I'm just in the full bio ball at the minute. But yeah, great week. Lovely. Just need some sunshine to come out for the rest of the bank holiday. Lovely. Rounding off with, Sorry. Rounding off with Phil. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so um, I've been out in a position this week in um, EME, Imperium, Imperium Energy. They're an oil and gas development company. They've got interests in uh, China, Indonesia and the US. And then RNS came out, which I, I felt was largely missed by the market. Um, the fact that they're going to the planning the drilling on one of the prospects, the Jade prospects uh, in, in China. And they're working with a, a, a company called Acre. Uh, who are a part of the AGR team. So um, there's going to be, there's probably going to be some sort of funding coming in or a joint venture agreement on it. But basically, if you look at, if you look at the field that they're working in, in China, it's next, they've got three prospects. You've got Jade, Topaz and Pearl, and they're planning the Jade drill. And it's, it's right next to a billion barrel um, oil field uh, in, 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 in very close within the sort of 50 kilometer um, uh, proximity to it so that that's one that i'm starting to build it, it seems quite undervalued at what it is one of the directors has got um it's the whole skin in the game thing he, he the ceo has got something like uh 25 of the company and um a lot of the other the, the, the board of directors have, have got a lot of the shares so it's quite tightly held uh, it's, it's kind of under the radar but um that that's the one that i'm i'm that's my um one for the week to watch, you know, and hopefully off the back of the, the, the previous ones, it will start to start to move. Well, okay. On, I think on that note, it might be a good time to uh, call it quits. We've had a marathon session, Dave Lenigas. Simon We've Kidd. had a marathon. But Zach, Kevin we, still to, we still need to hear from you, Zach. Come on, man. Give us your... No, I'm just... Words. All I'm going to say is three little letters... A A N A. I'm just um, amazed uh, at the uh, shenanigans and everything else. But until obviously it's resolved, the shares were suspended in the uh, next uh-huh. generation technology company. Until the shares come back, or if they do come back, then we won't actually know who was wrong and who was right. And obviously, that's the beauty of the stock market. So that's all I'm going to say. Yes. Um, okay, don't say any more. I will not say any more. So, as, as I said, uh, thanks, to the, thanks to everyone. And um, hopefully people will enjoy the podcast uh, as it goes out on Sunday. Thanks a lot. Cheers, everyone. Thank you, David. Thank you, yeah. Sam. Very yeah. good. Pleasure.
Hey, been, Zach, can you put me in touch with Sam? I'd like to have a bit of a chat with him on some other things. We, we see yeah, no, I, I think it's a very... It's a, uh, yeah, well, I, I think Phil's got the details. So, yeah. so what, what we do, and, and, and then this is something that we kind of, you know, we can edit this out if necessary. People think it's a little bit kind of, bit of a clique going on. But what we do is, is, is as a guest, uh, as a special guest, the two of you for being on, uh, being on the roast, what we've created is effectively a green room. The, the, and we, you're automatically indicted into that Hall of Fame, into the, the roast. So, we, you know, we can give you, we, we, we send you a link, you join the Telegram group and, you know, you can talk to other CEOs. It's just a great networking space. So please, I'll send you the link and I'll also send you each other's details and then you can talk offline or whatever, if that, if that sounds good. and I sort of seem to invest in the same sort of sectors. be good to sort of swap. Yeah, yeah let's chat. Yeah. I think right, we guys, think well, similarly as well. Good, good man. Well, what I'll do is I'll stop the recording now, uh, now and then, um, and we just have a quick like wrap up and, and go, guys. Yeah.